when we make spaces that are better for LGBTQ plus people or trans people, we're creating spaces that are better for all of us because we're breaking down those tiny boxes that we've been forced to fit in. And none of us actually thrive in those tiny boxes. Welcome to Created Creative. I'm Dawn. And I'm Ruth. And we're so glad that you're here. Happy Epiphany. Yeah, happy Epiphany. We're Um, recording this uh, actual at Epiphany because Ruth is headed to Belize. So tell us, why do people go to Belize? What's the situation here? Consecrate has a journey for women in ministry called Consecrate Out of the Box. Cutest name ever. (laughs) Yes. And we've got 22 women in ministry across denominations that are going, and it's going to be good food and doing touristy things and some yoga and very much rest and renewal. And I'm so excited about it. I can't wait to hear about it. What's the... Go ahead. Well, I was just going to talk about how much I love this conversation with Jamie. (laughs) Oh, oh, yes, do that. Yeah, she is a force to be reckoned with, blogger, author of a new book. I met her many years ago at an event called Extravaganza, which she mentions. And that is a shorthand name of an event that's really called the ELCA, Children, Youth and Family Ministry Extravaganza. So it's for Lutheran youth workers and some pastors. And Jamie and I have in the past both been parts of the team that leads the event. And I've also coached her. And since then, she has written a book. I loved especially her talking about the process of writing the book and how that all evolved. And (laughs) And the process of you don't just wake up and say, I'm going to be an activist. It bubbled up Mm -hmm. out of her life and she'll tell the story on the podcast. But we all have a message to share and she makes great connections with how she's had the same message, but it's just evolved with her family and her life. Yeah, this was a great conversation. So I hope you enjoy it. And have a good trip. Oh, thank you. Yes. Yay. Here's Jamie. Welcome. Hi. (laughs) We're so glad that you're here. Thank you for being with us. Yeah, I'm so excited for the conversation. I have never had the pleasure of meeting you, but I know you and Dawn go way back. Where did I meet you? Maybe at the extravaganza? Yeah, I think it would have to be an extravaganza a long time ago. Yeah, I remember you bringing Rebecca as an intern. Yeah, so So that would have been 2007. You were in a group of mine. You had very small children. Yeah, very small children. I looked up. Zoom was invented in 2011. It was before that because we did those groups on conference calls. Oh, absolutely. Oh, that's so fun. I didn't even think about that. Like, I know now we live in this world where we're constantly on calls like this. And you were creating community online and across the country long before this was the norm. Yes. Wonderful. Well, would you mind starting today by sharing a little bit about yourself with us? Sure. I am Jamie Breeze a half. I use pronouns like she, her, and they, them. That just means that both feel really good to me. LGBTQ plus advocacy is kind of my jam and my job, which I never planned for. I am an author. My first book came out in September, which is pretty exciting. Raising Kids Beyond the Binary, Celebrating God's Transgender and Gender Diverse Children. And that book is really rooted in my own experience raising a transgender daughter who 
is now 16 years old, but she transitioned when she was eight. So we've been on this journey for a while. So I get the joy of talking, sharing our story, creating space for other people to share their stories and just talking about how we create a world that is safer and more welcoming for LGBTQ plus people of all ages, but especially young people. Oh, that is just wonderful. Wow. Had you done a lot of writing before you wrote this book? I think I've always been a writer since I was very little. I was always writing stories. That was one of the really cool things about publishing a book is that I realized this was a dream I've had since I was like five. But as I got older, I was like, oh, well, that's not something I'm going to do. Writing a book is a big thing. It's not just like writing a story. And so to have that come to fruition, I started blogging back when I had my first child, when Rebecca was born. Just telling the story of motherhood, I think, is what brought me back to writing after the years of academia. I have a master's degree in religion with a concentration in theology for outdoor ministry. So did a lot of writing in that kind of space and writing the experience of raising children and all of the changes that come with that. And so that really flowed naturally into this particular book. And you were blogging back then. I'm totally that mom, something like yes, that. Yes. Yep. That was the name of my blog. I am totally <laughs> that mom. And for that mom you can think of, whether that's the one who doesn't have anything together and is a total hot mess or the one everybody's judging. Yeah. <laughs> and then one of those early viral posts led to you being able to be on a national stage. Yeah. I think my first viral blog was Dear Parents with Young Children in Church. And that was the first time Huffington Post was like, hey, can we interview you? You want to come on our show? I remember being so overwhelmed and terrified of what that was. But it was really just, I see you. The body of Christ is more fully present when we're all here in it. And that includes young children. And now I say the same thing. And that includes queer people and trans kids. It's the same messaging. It's just about really creating spaces where we can all show up fully as ourselves and be seen and known and we can better know each other and God in community. I love the arc that you're always being prepared. Yeah. And before that, I was in outdoor ministry, creating spaces and curriculum and programs where people could get to know themselves and each other and God in creation and community. And as much as what I have done spans so many different ways, I feel like my mission and my call is consistent throughout. The through line is the call. Nothing Mm -hmm. else is consistent. Yep. And so the creativity journey leads to preparing you before you know what you're being prepared for. Oh, absolutely. And sometimes I think ahead. I'm like, what am I going to be doing in 10 years? I have no idea. But something that's happening now is preparing me for whatever is going to be created or what I will create next. And that's kind of the adventure. Being co-creators in our life and in the world with each other, with God, with spirit. That's really exciting. And also freeing when we know that we're not creating on our own, but in collaboration with each other and with God, there's a little bit of relief to that. It's not all on us. We've got a role and we get to participate, but also we have no idea what's coming. Yeah, it is freeing. It's not like, oh, it's all on me to make it be good. Yeah. Great. I'm curious, as you were coming up with the idea for your book and then you had to write Mm -hmm. the proposal, did you have certain publishers that you wanted to go through that you were interested in? Or how did that process work for you? Yeah, so that was an adventure and I kind of did things a little bit backwards. It was a learning process. I'd had an editor reach out to me and say, hey, we'd love to see a proposal. And so while it had been this idea of, hey, that would be really cool, that was kind of the push to actually create something. 
And then after I put together a proposal, sent it off to them and they said, yeah, we're interested. Then I was like, oh, I really <laughs> should shop this around to other people. And so then I kind of reached out to a friend who I had known to write a book and got in touch with their editor and sent something off. And then I had a couple of offers on the table. And then I was like, I probably need an agent. Like that would be really <laughs> helpful. And so then I went and got an agent just to be able to navigate and understand contracts and all of that. And so I did the whole thing backwards. And then with the support of my agent, was able to look at the possibilities and the editors and the specific publishing houses. And the book came out of Broadleaf Books, which mm -hmm. I absolutely adore. I get so excited when I see a Broadleaf book because they are just publishing so many incredible things that I want to read by people who I want to spend time with and talk with. And so knowing that my book was going to be among those felt really good. And I think that's part of knowing what was the right home for this. Well, that's very cool. Well, you got all the steps done. It doesn't matter what order. <laughs> right? Exactly. How long did it take you to write this book? From proposal to publication, it was probably about two years, a little less, but I'd been writing parts of our story along the way, you know, on social media and on blog platforms and publishing articles with various small magazines or websites and so that kind of went into it. But the actual writing of putting it all together, I think, was really crammed into four to five months, probably closer to four. And some of that is just life. I have three kids. They keep me really busy. And so I find that I really have to carve out chunks of time and hunker down to really create something of substance, opposed to doing it more daily over a spaced out time, which sounds luxurious and just not <laughs> what my life is presenting to me right now. And so it was really written in two to three days stolen away at a camp here or two to three days at somebody's house here where I could just hole up and really dig in and do the thing. It's funny, isn't it? Parenthood really makes you create in different ways and different time chunks, you know. Absolutely. I remember when I was first in the church as a pastor, I would take so much time with my sermons, just crafting them so carefully. But then when I became a parent, I had to learn to write a lot faster. Yeah. And I think I'm a person that is always looking for those perfect circumstances for creating and life in general, but certainly raising children forces you to know that that's not always possible. And so I guess in the book, it was a little bit of me kind of going away to create that space. But in the day to day, it's finding it wherever you can. My kids are older now. It's not as much as like raising young children, but still. They're mm -hmm. busy. Yeah. So who are some of your favorite writers? Good question. I find right now I'm in a season of less reading, mostly because those seasons of consumption versus creation, I find really interesting to notice. But I've been enjoying looking at different ways of creating beyond writing. I really love Lucina Fisher is a filmmaker. She has a company, Little Light Productions, and she just does the most incredible work. And her most recent short documentary is on Netflix now. It's called The Dads. And it's a documentary featuring a group of dads of transgender kids sharing their stories and their experiences. And it's just really beautiful. And so I really am drawn to creators, whether they are writers or other type of artists who create work that creates change. I think lots of creativity does that in different way, but because of where I work in the social justice realm, I'm really inspired by that. I also really love Rebecca Baruki, who is the founder of Row House Publishing, which is a publishing house designed to turn publishing on its head and be really equity-centered. 
And their slogan is raising the volume on the voices that matter. And so they have a really different look at what it looks like to do publishing. Everything from advances to percentages for authors to whose voices they're lifting up. And so all of their authors are incredible. I also love my son Oliver is nine years old and he might be my favorite creator right now. His new thing is he has this little post-it note series of Bob comics. Bob is just a little stick figure and so we've got post-it notes that feature Bob doing all sorts of things. Bob at work or Bob going to bed or Bob at the holidays or Bob and his family. And his teacher told me that Bob is quite the sensation in the classroom. And I love her so much because he was having trouble like the post-it notes were curling on his desk where he was storing them and she laminated a bunch of them to make a comic strip and I just love to see that kind of creativity encouraged and supported. Yes that is so great that she saw that and wanted to encourage it didn't treat it like it was something that he needed to put away. Wow that's great. Plus to that teacher. Absolutely you know she's a gem. And then you have two other kids how are they expressing their creativity? Elijah is 14 and he's always been my maker kid growing up he would always be building things out of whatever he could find he'd be taking apart stereos and then building things out of the pieces we had to always be real careful like no that's still in use you can't take apart that one And now he's really interested in gaming and figuring out what it looks like to create on online platforms. And so much of it, I don't even understand. I'm like, bring me along for the ride. And sometimes I'm like, this can be yours. I don't even need to understand all of this. (laughs) But I can still see that creativity channel through. And then my daughter, Rebecca, is a writer. She wrote the afterword to my book, which was really cool. And she's the author of a kid's book about being inclusive. But in her schoolwork, I just see her creativity shine through, whether she's writing for history or even in the way she writes her physics investigations and lab reports. You see her unique perspective carried through. And I love how her creativity informs even something that might not feel creative to most people, like schoolwork doesn't always feel creative. And yet, really, it is an act of creation, all sorts of things in that process. And so getting to see that is cool. I actually don't think of advocacy as creative until you started talking. I thought it was just like, here's what's wrong and here's a law and let's change the law. Yeah, well, so much of what I do is storytelling. I think stories are the most powerful thing to create change. And so they are a foundational element to all of the advocacy I do, whether that's legislative, whether in testifying at the state house or meeting with legislators. In fact, sometimes what we do behind the scenes is support legislators by giving our story or telling the stories of other people so that then they have that information to share when they're on the Senate floor or whatever it may look like. I'll say the act of co-creating with various communities, with other advocates, with people working to create change. That word create flows through my life in so many different ways. And I think it's outside of the, the tiny box that sometimes we shove creativity in. Because I think even me, I haven't always thought of myself as a creative person, but I've always been creating. And so when I've been able to break out that box of like, no, I don't sit down and, you know, paint with watercolors or make something with my hands or whatever it may be. But everything I do day in and day out is about creating, whether it's creating space for my family to thrive or right now we're creating the year ahead. What are my visions and dreams and goals? That is an act of creativity, dreaming of what's possible or creating a world that looks different than the one we live in right now. It's not just 
art class. Mm -hmm. It's how do you envision a better world? And what world do you envision? A world where there is more space to fully show up as ourselves. I think that's the gift. All the work I do as far as raising kids raising a transgender daughter, understanding and learning what that means. What she has taught me is what it looks like to show up fully as yourself in the world and the power of that. And that when we do that, we create space for other people to do the same. When we make spaces that are better for LGBTQ plus people or trans people, we're creating spaces that are better for all of us because we're breaking down those tiny boxes that we've been forced to fit in. And none of us actually thrive in those tiny boxes, even mm -hmm. if we're not LGBTQ or if we're not queer or we're not trans. None of us are being served by trying to contort our bodies and our being to fit into these tiny spaces. And so breaking those down and getting to see the diversity of God's creation in all of us and letting that shine. I think we are made better not only when we show up fully as ourselves, but when other people do, too. We get to know more about the God who created all of us by knowing God's children. Oh my gosh, I could just sit and listen to you all day. <laughs> That's so beautiful. It's so true though, too, that when we feel squished into being something that we're not or that we're supposed to be a certain way, it's not good for any of us. So you say it very beautifully. Well, thank you. I know you've done projects that have had a national impact beyond this book. When you work with a company like Disney, who is selling creativity on some level. What do you learn from them? Because I would imagine you have to fit in some kind of box. This is going to air in a slot. So you have to fit in a box. How does that work? I have learned so much. Our family and our story has been highlighted by a lot of big name companies and Disney mm -hmm. and Marvel was one. Mm -hmm. We were a part of the Marvel's Hero Project. The process of seeing how that vision goes from the company has okayed and greenlit and what the production team that we're working with, what their vision is from like the director of photography to the producer to like all of the hands that go into that. And then them coming to our home, for instance, and getting our family and our family kind of delivers what our family delivers like <laughs> you can't script that if you wanted to right. little oliver you're not scripting i assure you the outtakes are hilarious <laughs> one time during family dinner the camera was coming around as we're like having conversation and he just went to stab the camera with his fork and like that just was what he thought was fun at the time yeah. well seeing the vision and then how that blends with who we are and our story and then what is the hoped for impact and how you craft all of that together. And I've gotten really good knowing those boxes. You've got to fit into something. But also, these are my deal breakers. These are our boundaries. This is what we don't share. This is a takeaway or a storyline that we're not going to be a part of. And so really connecting with creators and collaborating and making sure we have the same end goal and the same vision has been really important and something we've gotten better at identifying earlier in the process which is always good, opposed to towards the end where you identify that friction and you're like, oh, okay, we are going in two different directions. And so that act of collaboration is really exciting. What was the Disney project? So it's called Marvel's Hero Project. It was a docu-series that was streaming on Disney+. Plus. Unfortunately, it was recently removed from the platform. But it featured 20 kids from across the country doing really great things in their community in a variety of ways. And Rebecca was one of them. And so 
it ended up our family was like 30 minute episode and Rebecca was made into an actual Marvel superhero. So she has her own comic book, The Mighty Rebecca, and that's really fun. That's another thing that I found interesting creativity wise and seeing how our lives intersect with creators a lot is that we've seen a lot of things recently where there's been artistic renderings of Rebecca and Marvel was probably one of the first ones where she was made into a comic book. But then she was a part of Teen Vogue and Glad's 20 Under 20 where an artist, you know, did a rendering and then she's in another graphic novel that's coming out and just seeing how different people capture her and our vision versus theirs and working with artists is just really fascinating. So much intersection with so many different people's creativity in our life. Isn't that cool to hear how it spins off of each other too? Mm -hmm. And they see something great in her that they want to emphasize as they Mm -hmm. draw. And you're like, I've been seeing this every day for 16 years and sort of forgot. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And you get those different perspectives. And sometimes we'll be like, I'm not sure. And then maybe it's going back to the drawing board because it's also does this feel good for her? And what does that look like for her at 16 years old to be able to say, this is how I perceive myself. And it's cool if you see myself this way, but it's important for me to feel good about it. And learning to advocate for herself is really exciting. I feel like most adults don't quite know how to do that well. Mm -hmm. And so I learned from her. I definitely could not at 16. Oh my god. Exactly. And so I often think about what's it going to be like as she moves into her 20s and moves on with life, having had so many of these formative experiences that I think most of us didn't. And for better and worse, certainly. Is she interested in advocacy and things as well? She does a lot of work in education. And so my work is very much aligned with her. We do some stuff together and we do some stuff separately. And for me, it's being able to do it when she doesn't want to. We try to protect her ability to be a high school kid and, you know, sing in her three acapella groups and (laughs) do musical theater and play field hockey and do all of that. As much as she loves to do advocacy as well, she doesn't want to be doing it all the time. And so if I can use my voice and our experience with her consent and being clear that I can't tell her story, but I can tell our story, my story of it, that hopefully I can do work so she doesn't have to all the time, I guess. Yeah, that's wonderful. And the work you're doing is probably slightly on behalf of kids who don't have a parent Mm. who can do any of this for any number of great reasons. Absolutely. And I think that's why our family, including Rebecca, does the work we do. Our journey into public advocacy began in 2017 when the federal administration rescinded guidance for trans students in schools. And there was going to be a rally. And I reached out and said, hey, if you need a parent to speak at this rally, I'd be happy to. And they were like, yeah, you and Rebecca can speak. And I was like, she's (laughs) 10. Like, what? (laughs) What is she going to (laughs) say? But I asked her, I said, hey, do you have this opportunity? Do you want to speak at this rally? And she said, yes, I want to speak. Trans kids deserve safe schools. And so at 10 years old, she stood in the streets of Jersey City, New Jersey, and spoke in front of 200 people. And that was incredible. I think she learned a lot about her power and her ability to use her voice. But what she also heard the stories of the other speakers who didn't have the bubble of support that she had that had had really challenging experiences at school and growing up in their families and so on. And so at that rally, she had a sign that she was holding that said, I'm the scary transgender person the media warned you about. Mm. And she was just this cute little girl, 10 year old with pink dyed pigtails and her pink puffy coat. And it was just this really stark contrast that I posted the picture on my like little blog and it went viral. 
And so suddenly she had this platform. And when faced with the opportunity as she was coming home from school in fourth grade, and I was like, Teen Vogue wants an interview. Yahoo <laughs> News wants an interview. Hey, can you talk to the Huffington Post today? It was surreal. But because of that experience of seeing her life and the support and love she'd received in contrast to what other people went through and having that broader perspective, he had a platform and she decided to use it. And so we've just been on this journey since then, navigating what that looks like and how we can use our creative forces for good, I guess. Yeah. What a journey. But then how wonderful that you said yes to, let's see what happens if we step forward. You talked about this a little bit, but one of the questions I always like to ask is, how do you see your creativity and your spirituality connect? In so many ways. There are so many answers to this question. I think first, on a very individual level, I think in this consumer culture that we live in, when we create, when we pause the consumption and we find that space, oftentimes it's quiet, sometimes it's not, but we create that space. I am closer to God in that moment than I am in the rest of my life. It creates that opportunity to experience the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I think if we think about all being created in God's image, God is the creator. And so when we are creating, I think we are closer to the image of God that we were created in than any other time. And then I think alongside of that, there's almost a meditative quiet side of that and closeness and room for the spirit. But then there's also service. Like this is the work I was called to do in the world, to use the unique gifts that I've been given and the experiences in my specific voice to create change and to create a world that looks more like the kingdom of God. And so there's call inherent in all of that too. I love that definition of calling. So within that calling, what's next for you? I don't know. I feel like I'm in this interesting place. Like the book came out in September and kind of riding that wave. And also there was a pretty significant crash come November as far as all of the stress and emotion that came into book launch. But also I need to continue to promote the book and tell the story mm -hmm. and do all of that thing. And so figuring that out. But I'm also in this moment of pause of trying to decide what do I want? What's next to look like and feel like for me and for my family? Because the last two years have been get this book out, push through. Mm -hmm. Nothing else matters. We just got to meet deadlines. And so now I have a little bit of breathing space, I guess. How do you make sure it really is a breathing space? That's a great question. <laughs> I mean, I'm an Enneagram 3, and mm -hmm. so we go hard until we don't go anymore. Could you win breathing space? Yes. You know? <laughs> well, and so what I really felt was that I crashed so hard. You know, in times of stress, we go to nines and like mm -hmm. not great right. healthy nines where we just don't function. If I was like, I'm out. I'm like rewatching Gilmore Girls from start oh. to finish. <laughs> yes. Awesome. <laughs> I Perfect. know. I know. Yeah. And so giving in and giving myself some indulgence space. What's next, I think, is finding reset time and breathing space that isn't crashing. Like that was fine and I needed mm -hmm. that. But now what does it look like to create some rhythms and routines? That's one of the hardest things of being someone who is self-employed and has a schedule that really varies, whether I'm traveling or I'm home, but I still have kid life. And just what does all that look like? And so kind of creating some structure to ground me and make that breathing room. So what's the very next step? I'm really curious about block calendaring scheduling -ness so that I can say, <laughs> 
I'm going to use this chunk of time because otherwise I get very distracted by like the all of the things and then I don't get Mm -hmm. anything done because I could do little things on all the things. The other thing that is also on my mind, which you originally told me, was spending a certain amount of time every day on something that's like three months away. Yes, I'm all about it. Yes. And so that has been on my mind for the last couple of weeks because I'm looking ahead. I have stuff scheduled in 2024 and big commitments. And I'm like, oh, I should be working on that now. And so now as I'm coming out of this kind of crash period, I'm like, okay, what does it look like to spend an hour, a couple of times a week on that keynote? That's four months away. So then I don't have that panic the week before where it's crisis mode. And so I just got my new planner for 2024 in the mail. And so I think by physically blocking out some of those things and starting to visualize it is something that I can start doing now to live into in January for sure. So for those just joining us, I often say to people either spend 30 minutes a day on something 30 days away or 90 minutes a week on something 90 days away. So you're just really calm and working on this thing that you know you have tons of time for, but then when the thing comes, you have so much of it already done. You say that far better than I do. And I appreciate the 30 (laughs) minutes, 30 days, 90 minutes. Like that's helpful remembering. I just knew it was like, do something now for something really far away. (laughs) I mean, I have the concept down, Dawn, okay. (laughs) No, I just, you know, helping the listener too. (laughs) No, absolutely. But it's helpful. It's helpful even to have those numbers because I think those feel really doable, which is obviously important to it and purposeful on your point. So blocking the calendar then becomes obvious. The 90 minutes and the 30 minutes. Exactly. Also, the other thing as far as creating breathing space is I want to get back to doing fun things. We share this. I love to dance. I love tap. And I haven't taken tap classes in years. And so I was just on the website of a studio nearby that does adult classes and going, hey, what would it look like to add this into my schedule for something that brings Mm -hmm. me joy and creates space, but it's something totally different than what I do the rest of the time. I was in a Sunday afternoon tap class up until the pandemic, and we would call it Second Church. (laughs) It was like this fun, spiritual experience, and there were very consistent people. And so there was a lot of chatting before and after, like fellowship. Tap class is everything. No, I know. So I'm excited for that. Awesome. Ruth, was there anything else? I was just thinking of one fun question I had with all of the interviewing that you've done and people that have interviewed you. I mean, aside from us, is there anyone else you've been really starstruck to? <laughs> I mean, to be- you all are absolutely at the- I mean, Noli, I, I fan feeling about you both. I so appreciate your work. But I think, oh, that's a good question. It's like the big fancy people. We were on the Tamron Hall show once or Juju Chang for Good Morning America came to my house. That was really oh, wow. surreal and just down that conversation like Juju Chang sitting in my living room. Sometimes the big fancy people are fun, but they're not mm-hmm. necessarily the best conversations because they're coming in with their very specific what they want or what they're looking at or sometimes those are very short clips too and so that's a different thing well i'm so glad that you could take time to talk with us today and i really appreciate you talking about creating change that is another way that we create in this world and it just brings a whole different aspect to even how i'm thinking about this podcast we're working on. I love that. And I love to see the way that people are doing that, whether it's in traditionally creative kind of the things we think of or in really non-traditional ways. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. This was fun. 
Thanks for joining us for another episode of Created Creative. We would love to continue the conversation, so follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Created Creative Podcast. And let us know on social media, how are you creating space? Whether that means creating space for people, creating space for you to show up fully as yourself, creating space for projects that are in the future that maybe you want to spend 30 minutes a day on something 30 days in the future. We'd love to hear from you on Instagram or Facebook. And please follow us and leave a rating for us on Spotify and iTunes and also a review on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Go create something. Go create something. Thank you.